Welcome to the 189th installment of Ear to the Ground, the Land Stewardship Project's podcast on family farming, sustainable agriculture, local food systems, and local democracy. I'm Brian DeVore, editor of the Land Stewardship Letter. If you take care of the soils and you allow the life below the soils to flourish, the life above the soil flourishes. When farmer Rick Bieber made that statement at a recent Land Stewardship Project soil health workshop in southeastern Minnesota, he wasn't just talking about using biologically active soil to boost crop yields. Bieber, who raises a variety of crops and grazes a cow-calf herd in north-central South Dakota, sees healthy soil as a basis for building a farming operation that can not only remain resilient in the face of rough weather, but provide the kind of sustainable economic returns that provide opportunities for the next generation of farmers. Bieber knows of what he speaks. During the 1980s, his family's operation was in dire economic straits. Part of their problem was due to the financial crisis that was overwhelming all of agriculture at the time. But Bieber says his farm's financial problems could also be traced to the fact that the soil was being abused through too much tillage. In an attempt to cut his reliance on fuel and other expensive inputs, Rick began reducing tillage significantly, eventually adopting a no-till system of production. In the late 1990s, he began experimenting with cover crops, and in 2006, South Dakota State University began establishing research plots on his farm. Over the years, Bieber's system of no-till, cover crop cocktails, and rotational grazing has helped his fields double their organic matter content. In fact, he says his organic matter ranges around 4 to 5 percent, twice what many neighboring farms have. The result has been increased, in some cases triple, the yields for crops like corn, soybeans, sunflowers, and flax. This has given him the confidence to begin passing on the farming operation to a new generation. But as Bieber explained during his presentation at the Standing Room Only LSP workshop, what he finds most critical about increasing the soil biota is that it has pumped up the efficiency with which his fields utilize moisture. In other words, he's getting more bushels per inch of rainfall because the increased organic matter helps capture and utilize every bit of moisture available. That's key in a part of South Dakota that receives on average no more than 17 inches of rain annually. He estimates soils with 2% organic matter hold 3 to 4 inches of water at the root zone. With some of his soils at that 5% organic matter level, that's more like 6 inches of water available to the plant's roots. As Bieber explains it, that may not be a big deal during a year when precipitation amounts are adequate. But when drought hits, which is not a rare occasion in that part of South Dakota, Bieber can still produce profitable yields. After his LSP presentation, I talked to Bieber about the importance of making soil more water efficient and the connection between healthy soils and ensuring a viable future for a new generation of farmers. Rick also talked about one problem he's still trying to overcome an addiction to a certain white substance. Yeah, so Rick, you were talking a little bit, I thought it was a really good, I guess, way of making the argument for improving soil health, where you talked about your ability to increase the efficiency of your soil's ability to use water. And you had some really good examples, some real in-the-field examples. I was wondering if you could just talk a little bit about that. That, I think that's a really good way, because people get really stuck on yields, overall yields, but you are in a situation where you're water short. I think it's about 17 inches a year of rain a year. So managing that moisture is really important for you. Yes. When we uh, were tilling the soil, we were in that 40, 50, 60 bushel corn yields. And if we got 17 inches of rain, that was about three bushels per inch. And this was many, many years ago, but the tillers back home that we have still have that three bushels per inch. And if you get a lot of rain, then you get a better yield. That's just all 
turns into. And as we got into no-till, that went to four bushels per inch. And you can measure your management skills if you that number remains constant or continues to grow a little every year. If you don't measure in that fashion and you get a lot of rain, and everything's just perfect, you get a tremendous yield, and you thought you were a real good manager. And when you get all done at the end of the year, you're scratching your head going, I really didn't make any money because your management skills weren't there. It was Mother Nature cooperated perfectly for you. If you measure it the other way, then you start noticing that if I did this, it helped my yield on bushels per inch of water versus not helping it. And you instantly start seeing where your soils start improving and yields start getting better. We've went from four bushels per inch to six bushels per inch with cover crops to a 10 to 12 bushels per inch. And that number on the high side fluctuates, but it's always over eight. It hasn't been over 12 yet, but it's everywhere in between, which is three to four times better than what the norm is. And that's, that's on your corn there? That's on corn, yes. And we measure the corn specifically because it's the full season crop. Wheat has went up a little bit, but wheat is a short season crop. It doesn't have to stand the adversities that Mother Nature gives you during the heat of the summer. So you really don't know what your soil health is because you don't really know what your own health is until you have to start performing under adverse conditions. I think that's something I've heard before with cover crops is they can really, where they really shine is in those years when it's not perfect, perfect conditions. Yes, if you get the heat, which we always do in August, we're always up to 100 or 100 plus degrees. We're always short of water in August uh, to where the moisture probes won't go in the ground anymore. And that's where to make your soil biology help gather the water for the plants where the plants actually don't have to go seek it all out by themselves. That's where the, the shining of the cover crops really work. I understand the situation when you get over in this part of the world where the moisture is not near as limiting as we are. Sometimes the cover crops don't excel or doesn't, don't show that they're excelling quite as well as they do in our country. How long did it take you to really build that, use those cover crops and these other methods to build your soil health where you were really starting to see some of these impacts that really affected your bottom line and maybe just made the management really, you went, okay, I'm not going to turn around now. This is really the, the direction I'm going. We started cover cropping on a trial basis like every farmer just tries trial and error. And it took about three to four years before we started realizing that these cover crops have a multi-year benefit to them, which caused us to have a more serious look at them. So within three to four years, we had realized that they need a place on our farm, but we weren't sure where they fit in the rotations yet because our cash crops were there. And since we've found out that they're needed everywhere, now they go everywhere. I know one of the things that you're really passionate about, and you, you alluded to a little bit in your presentation, was connecting soil health with getting the next generation of farmers started. And I, I just that maybe isn't a connection people directly make all the time, but it sounds like that's really something you've seen now that you're getting that period where you're looking at maybe transitioning your farm to the next generation. Can you talk a little bit about that? One thing I tell everybody is when we relate things to humans, health is health and life is life. So I hope to live to another 20 or 30 years, God willing. My father passed away a couple years ago. My son should live another 40 or 50 years. 
My grandchildren should live 60 or 70 years. However, our soils should live forever. So why would we continue to try to hurt our soils and make them be less and less resilient and more and more prone to the adversities that uh, unhealthy things have when we have an option? And our option is to leave them alone and let them perform. You talk, you, so you have a son that's kind of come into the farm now, it sounds like? Yes, we're in the process of uh, succession planning, and I had hoped that it would be done by now. I had hoped I would say I was a farmer right now. Uh, all the policies and government agencies and IRS codes and stuff like that have caused us to not get it accomplished by January 1 of 2017, so our goal is to have it totally done by the end of this year. You had kind of gotten into this a little bit out of a sense of, it sounds like economic desperation, that you really felt like you had to go back to the basics and look at ways of cutting input costs and really, I guess, looking at profitability rather than just pure yield. Is that kind of true? That is true. Our farm was under extress financial duress uh, from the things that the 80s threw at every agricultural sector. And plain and simple, we wouldn't be farming today if we wouldn't have changed our mindset on soil care and looking at what the soils need rather than what our pocketbooks need and what all the other things need. If you look at the soils and perform and allow them to perform at all times, they always outperform your expectations. Are you getting more? I know you talked a little bit about some of the researchers who maybe don't quite buy into this yet and maybe even some farmers. I mean, how you feel in general? Is the message kind of getting out through farmers like you? Or, and, or are you getting a sense that there's certainly, we've got over 130 people at this meeting here in the middle of a Minnesota winter, so there's that interest. But how are you feeling? Are you feeling a bit more positive or is it still kind of a long ways to go? It gets a bit frustrating because there's too many people trying to disprove what farmers are doing. And like I had said earlier, farmers are doing it and they're doing it on multiple years. That must mean it's working on their particular farm. So why would they be ridiculed or dis try to disprove? This is a grassroots movement from the soil, from the farmers who take care of the soil, that they're recognizing soil health is the wave of the future not to buy things and put them back out there in the soil that are not necessarily a native to the soil. Is there one thing that you're still mm, kind of looking five, ten years down the road, a barrier you're trying to get over or something you're trying to, as you, it's like, oh, I really want to get that part of my farm working well or, or, or some system that's a little bit, still been a little bit frustrating on the, in the field level itself. Yes, we're addicted. The white stuff. Uh, the drug addict is addicted to cocaine. Farmers are addicted to urea, the white stuff, the same stuff. And we are too on our farm because I remember the 80s and the 70s when costs got too prohibitive, all the first thing that went was the fertility or got diminished. And I remember the yields went down also. And it was the beginning of the end to our farm's profitability, which is scary. And that's a paradigm I have to shift is how to get away from all synthetic fertilizers. And I know people that do it. They're credible people. I believe it. It's just very, very hard not to do it.
For more on the land stewardship project's work related to helping farmers build healthy soil in economically viable ways, see our website at landstewardshipproject.org. If you have comments or questions about this podcast, contact Brian DeVore at bdevore at landstewardshipproject.org, or you can call 612-722-6377. Thanks to Laura Borgendahl, Western Minnesota musician, for Ear to the Ground's theme music. And a special thank you to all of Land Stewardship Project's members who make initiatives such as this podcast possible. If you're not a member, visit landstewardshipproject.org to learn how you can support LSP. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.